Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Alrighty, are you ready to get into the word tonight? I want to piggyback off of or jump from where we shared last week. But as we were in prayer this evening, the Lord said something to me as we were praying uh, concerning the foundation. We were praying about some things and uh, as we were praying, we were praying for the foundation that has been laid And then the Lord brought some things to my attention. So uh, if you recall, two weeks ago, we ministered on the subject or the principle of sowing and reaping. And that it's a biblical principle that has been established from the foundation of the world. Jesus said, this is how the kingdom operates is through the principle of sowing and reaping. Last week, I said that God put something on my heart and that actually concerning the principle of sowing and reaping ties into what I shared last week. But I said, we may not be able to connect the dots as of such. But if you recall last week, I I was talking to us about the gifts and the call that God has on all of our lives. Remember, the Bible says that each one has been called into ministry, that the gifts plural, and the call singular is without repentance, or in other words, from the foundation of the world, God has called us. And so connecting the dots with sowing and reaping and the call that is upon our life, we're going to talk about that tonight. But here's what the Lord said to me while we were praying tonight. He said, concerning that application of the principle of sowing and reaping and the connecting of the dots to your call that we're going to talk about tonight, He said, it's important for us to stay full because when you stay full, now, how do you stay full? The way you stay full is by being prayed up and read up. So in other words, you got to feed your spirit on the word of God and being prayed up and more importantly, prayed up by praying in the spirit or spending time praying in the Holy Ghost that builds up your spirit. But in doing so, when your spirit is full, you see things differently. When your spirit is full, your joy will be full. Well, why is your joy full? Is because when your spirit is full, you see from the eyes of the spirit rather than the eyes of the flesh, right? So in other words, if I'm looking at life and I'm grumbling and complaining or I'm feeling sorry for myself or I'm looking at the past and counting the cost or counting up what everybody's done or what this, what's happened against me. Well, then what I'm doing is that I'm not full of the spirit. I'm letting myself be moved by the flesh and being full of the flesh rather than full of the spirit. Now, there's something you got to identify. 
Now, somebody could say, well, you know what? I pray in the spirit all the time and, and I still struggle with keeping score and looking at the past and, and looking at all the stuff in my life and not having joy. Well, then that tells me something. You're not praying in the spirit. You might be praying in other tongues, but you realize your spirit can talk in tongues, but you don't necessarily pray in the spirit because you can put it in autopilot, if you will, and just jibber jabber and not connect your heart with your faith. Does that make sense? And so if you're literally and praying in the spirit, your spirit has no other choice but to be full in Jude 20, it says, building up your most holy faith, praying in the spirit. So in other words, if you are sincerely praying in the spirit, your spirit man can't help but be full, right? And so if you're full, you see things differently. So he said there is a core or there's the foundation. There's a group or remnant of people that are going to be full and step to the forefront. But as a result, they're going to begin to lead the charge of what's coming next, leading a people into the fullness of the things of God that he's wanting to do. Amen. And so that means that we've got to understand or know that, God, you're going to use me because I've got a call on my life. And in order for me to be used to that capacity, I've got to be full. Amen. How many of you know that your car is simply a tool to minister to you? But if your car is not full, it doesn't go anywhere. Right. I mean, if, if the bills aren't paid, then, then the uh, uh, gas isn't full in the heater. You can turn the thermostat on, but there's nothing that's coming on, right? So you got a purpose to be full. So let's look at this tonight as to the call that is upon our life. And we'll connect the dots, as I said, concerning the principle of sowing and reaping and how that works in conjunction. Let me just remind you just for a moment concerning the call. If you recall in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 it says this, he who has he who hath saved us has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given given us in Christ before the worlds began. So notice what it says here. He says that before the foundations of the world were, he said, I saw a purpose in you and you were called with a holy calling. So that's interesting. I just saw this the afternoon that before the foundations of the world, God just took it for granted that we were going to be believers. You see that? The Bible says before the foundations of the world, there was a purpose and a call on every single person's life. So in the mind and the heart of God, he just assumed everybody's going to love me and follow me because I've called them to a purpose. Now, we know that that's not the case as far as everybody in their response. But in the heart of God, he operated in faith and put a call and a purpose on every single person. And that call is holy. We also saw this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasures of his goodness and the work of faith and grace. All right, so he says, 
I want you to walk worthy of this calling. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, or he's speaking to the body of Christ, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So he said, This is a calling that we are partakers of with Jesus, or in other words, we are co laborers with him. Now, the Bible also says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, concerning that call, it is the call of reconciliation. Now, we're going to come back to that and look at that in just a moment. So, to look at the verses that we just looked at or just read, number one, the Bible says that the calling, it's a high calling. Number two, it's a holy calling. And number three, it's a heavenly calling. All right, in order for this to be a heavenly calling and a high calling and a holy calling, he said that it's important for us to fulfill the work of that calling and that it would have faith or that we would work faith and power. So in other words, this calling must have faith and it must function with power or in other words, there must be demonstrations of the faith that we exert in that calling. Secondly, it says this, that in that calling that we would fulfill all the good pleasure and goodness of God. So did you notice it says that you would fulfill all the goodness, or let me read it again, that you would fulfill all the good pleasures and goodness of that calling. So isn't it interesting that we've got this mentality that man, if I serve God, I'm going to miss out. If I serve God, I'm not going to be able to have fun. If I serve God, I'm giving up something in my life. And isn't that why we struggle is because we pursue pleasure or thinking that there's something that will fulfill us. But right here, he said, the only way that you'll find the fullness of the good pleasure is by stepping into and yielding to the call and the purpose on your life. Come on, all the goodness and pleasure. So that means that there's nothing that is missing, nothing that we're lacking, nothing that we're uh, uh, not experiencing because the good pleasure or the fullness of all good pleasure is in that purpose. So what does that tell us? That tells us that if we're looking somewhere else to experience pleasure, then we don't see what God sees concerning us. The purpose and the mandate and the call that he saw in us before the foundations of the world that fulfills all the good pleasures he's desiring for us, that obviously we see something differently or are not seeing what God sees in regards to our place in him. All right? So that means that there must be there must be something that God sees that we don't see, but there's a reason why that is, because if you recall, the Bible says in Romans, it says, they that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth, right? So in other words, God sees things from a spiritual position, right? So in order for us to understand the fullness of, of the pleasure and the good things that God desires, 
we have to shift our visibility or what we see from the natural to the spiritual. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? All right, so with that being said, I want you to look at, or you can just write this down for reference sake. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. Now again, I'm going somewhere with this because I'm talking about the call and the principle of sowing and reaping as to how it pertains to this life of goodness. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. So let's stop there for just a moment. He says, be not deceived. So that must mean to us that in this area that he's getting ready to tell us, there must be a slippery slope for us as believers to get caught up into a thought pattern or mentality of being deceived. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the spirit, of the spirit he'll reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So once again, if you recall, I said in that one verse, God already made an assumption that we were going to be followers of him. But as we look at this verse, in verse 9 it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That also tells us that God is just making an assumption, making a faith assumption, that we are not going to respond by the flesh, we're going to respond in the Spirit. He's making the assumption that we're not going to sow to the flesh, but we're going to sow to the Spirit. Does that make sense? And it also tells us here that there are two places that you're going to sow to and two places that you'll reap from. God said, I'm not mocked. This is a spiritual principle. He says, so a person will either sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap everlasting life right so that again that tells us that we are going to reap one way or another as i've said it before if i slap you in the head if if you're like me if i slap you in the head then i expect to get slapped back because i know if you slap me i'm gonna slap you back and i'm gonna slap you harder <laughs> right that's just the principle of sowing and reaping. And so God says that you're going to sow one place or the other, and you will reap for certain from one place or the other. All right, continuing with that line of thinking, he says in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, just a little back. It says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So in other words, there's this battle that continues to go back and forth. So that they cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the spirit or led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornications, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, vari uh, variances, illum uh, uh, um, what's that? 
emulations, wrath, strife, uh, seditions, heresies, envying, murder, drunkenness, rivalry, and the such like. Or in other words, he says, other stuff like these things. Of which I've told you before, and I have also told you in times past, that which are they that which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So once again, he says, now, there is this flesh side of man, and he says, you're going to be tempted, and you're going to be torn, and you're going to be pulled from one side and the other to be of the natural side of your being. Does anybody wrestle with that? I mean, did anybody wake up this morning and said, hello, flesh? (laughs) I think we all do, right? All right, so that's just the natural side of man. And he says, it's contrary to one another, so they fight back and forth. But notice what he says. He says, if you consistently sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. But notice what he says. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So if you're given or led by the flesh then you are under the law. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if we're born again, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. But if we consistently live a life out of the flesh nature of our being, we position ourselves under the law by default. The Bible says you don't have to be poor. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be defeated. But if I live on the spirit side, I can live and experience life. But if not, then what do I experience? I experience all the effects of the curse of the law, right? But then he goes on to say this in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. So in other words, he says, when you're functioning, walking by and living in this place of the spirit and giving to this side of your being, he says, you're not under the law. Actually, you're walking in the freedom and the liberty of what Christ came to give. Right? All right. And then to conclude here, he says in verse 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections of the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. All right. So he's identifying the spirit side of man and the natural side of man. Now, remember I said that this call on our life, every single person is called to liberty called to this holy calling and to experience the fullness of the goodness of all God's goodness and good things. But that's when we sow to the spirit. And so here's where we end up seeing many times individuals say, well, I, I go to church, I give my tithe, but man, it just seems like I can't get ahead. It just seems like if it's going to rain, it's going to pour. It just seems like if anything bad's going to happen, it happens to us. Well, so then the question is, is where are you sowing to? And you might say, well, I sow to the Spirit. But the question remains is, what do we sow to the most? Because if you were to actually say, do we all sow to the flesh? Absolutely. What does that mean? That we give into the flesh from time to time? The best Christians do. 
Billy Graham did. Oral Roberts did. Kenneth Hagin did, right? I mean, these are devout men. The apostle Paul did. He said, you know, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do, right? So we're all subject to that. It's just part of our natural makeup. But the question is, is what do I give to the most? Because whatever I give to the most or sow to the most is what I'll position myself under. Does that make sense? Because again, I can be sowing to the spirit. I go to church. I do the Christian thing. But all the other time of my life, I just give into my flesh. I give into my flesh. I give into my flesh. And what ends up happening is I position myself here where I'm reaping the harvest of sowing, <clears throat> of sowing to the flesh. Does that make sense? Because it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're doing the Christian thing. It just matters or it's the question of what are we giving to the most? Now, here's the reason why I'm saying that is because we said that God sees things differently than the way that we see things, right? He's seeing things from the spiritual vantage point and he's saying, I need you to come over here. Now, why is that necessary? I didn't say all that to make us feel condemned. It's like, oh, dear God, I got to get my act together. That's not the point of what I was sharing all that about. The point is, is that because of the call that is on our life, if we'll see things in the right perspective based upon what we give ourselves to, it will cause us to either be more productive or less productive. And he said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, he says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So in other words, what God has called us to is a ministry to affect people. And that is the greatest spiritual fruit that any of us could reap in our life is the fact that we share the life of Jesus and they come out of death into life because of us and the ministry that God's called us to, right? But what that also does is that means that in order for us to see people correctly, I've got to come from this place of flesh into the place of spirit. And therefore, that means I look at myself as a leader. We're all leaders. We're all ministers. We're all called into the ministry. If you recall last week, I said that your call and my call is the same. The gifts are different. My gifts are to be a pastor. Your gifts might be something else. But what you do with your gifts, what I do with my gifts, the ultimate end result and purpose is the same call. And that is to reach people, right? Okay. So if I identify that I am a leader, that I am called, I have a ministry, and it's ultimately to affect people, then my perspective has to shift to see things the way God sees things. All right, so with that being said, let me bring your attention to, to, to Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Now, this is speaking directly to specific individuals such as um, deacons and elders and things of that nature. But you have to understand that a deacon or an elder is really nothing more than a leader 
or a recognized leader within a church. But if you also have said, okay, I recognize that I got a call on my life. I recognize that God's called me into ministry. I recognize that God has assigned me with purpose. Then this would actually be applicable to us. All right, so as we read it here, it says, for this reason, he says, I left you behind in Crete that you might set right what what was defective and finished what was left undone and that you might appoint elders or leaders to set them over the church or the assemblies in every city as I direct you. In verse six, it says, these elders should be men. Now, again, he's speaking of the time, but that could be men or women. Men or women who are unquestionable, who are of unquestionable integrity and are irreproachable, the husband or the wife of one spouse, again, husband or wife, whose children are well-trained and are believers, not open to accusations of being loose in orals and in conduct or unruly and disorderly. So let's stop there for just a moment. So the Bible says that we are to be people of integrity, right? So if I am giving myself to the things of God, if I'm purposing to see things from God's perspective, then obviously I'm going to purpose to walk with integrity, right? With character. Why? Because my character and my integrity matter. My character and my integrity mean something to somebody else because I represent God. And then notice what he says here. He says, now concerning your kids whose children are well-trained. So you realize that the school systems aren't going to train your kids. The church isn't going to train your kids. The responsibility falls on the leader or the mom and dad to train your kids. Now notice the next thing. It says, not only are they well-trained, but they are believers. So what does that mean? That means that God expects moms and dads to raise up children to become believers. If our children don't wind up following God, it's not their fault, it's our fault, right? God's called us to raise up children to be believers. All right, verse seven, it says, for the bishop or the overseer, he says that God's steward must be blameless, not self-willing or arrogant or presumptuous, but he must, be, not, must not be quick-tempered or given to uh, drinking or... Uh, uh, brawling and in, in, in being violent, but must, uh, but, but he must not be uh, grasping and greedy for filthy lucre or financial gain. Verse eight it says, but he must be hospitable, loving, and a friend to believers, especially to strangers and foreigners. He must be a lover of goodness, of good people and good things, sober-minded, sensible, discreet, upright, fair-minded, devo- a, a devout man or a woman. And righteously correct, temperate, and keeping himself in hand. Verse 9 says, And he must hold fast and sure to the trustworthy word of God as he was taught, as he was taught it, so there that he might be able both to give stimulating instruction and encouragement in sound, wholesome doctrine, and to refute and to convict those who contradict and opposed and showing wayward areas or wayward ways of error. So what he's saying here, he says, it's important for leaders to be an example 
to lead those that are following, that we are to love people. And notice it says that we are to have stimulating conversation or instruction that encourage sound doctrine. So what does that mean? That means that we ought to be individuals that are so in love with Jesus that our example, our conversation causes others to want to know him. And then those, it says, those that would be opposing or that they would be wayward in their error or in error of their ways, that we as individuals ought to be able to speak to that as leaders, not being critical, not being judgmental, but being able to speak to them in a way that we're able to shift them and turn them in their thinking. What? To follow God, right? Okay. So with that being said, the last thing that I want to share with you is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just as we bring this to a close. As a leader or identifying that I have a call on my life, I'll walk according to that call if I'll see things the way God sees things. All right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. It says, wherefore henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yes, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God, and hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. So notice what he says here. He says, now, we follow Jesus. We were with him for three and a half years. Now, if anybody was to know Jesus after the flesh, it would have been us because we were with him day in and day out. But we choose to not know him after the flesh no more. Because now the spiritual eyes of our understanding have been opened and we see what Jesus truly came to do. And so our perspective has totally changed. And then he goes on to say, now, you don't know any man after the flesh. Why? Because now you're a new creation in Christ. And he says, now, in Christ, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So how do we connect the dots? If I'll understand that my relationships are not just natural, they're spiritual. It will help me connect my call to every single person that I come in contact with. For instance, as a pastor, I am not pastoring physical bodies. I'm pastoring spirits. Does that make sense? Now, the challenges that we face in life is a result of all those things in the flesh that we deal with and go through. But me as a pastor, I'm not pastoring you to your natural circumstances. I'm pastoring the spirit of the man so that the spirit of the man can rise up and overcome the natural circumstances of life. Right? So, for instance, if you come to me and you say, hey, pastor, the doctors have, uh, have given me a diagnosis of cancer and I've only got four weeks to live. Now, I can respond to you in the natural and say, boy, that's just a bummer. 
really feel bad. Well, you know what? We'll do the best we can to make you feel comfortable. And man, if we cook you a couple meals, great. We'll do what we can. You know, I'm here for you. No, as a pastor, that's not what I'm going to do. As a pastor, I'm going to say, oh, wow. That's a, that's a bad diagnosis. But immediately as a pastor, I'm going to the spirit side of life. The word of God says, here's what God said about this situation. Now, if you'll let me help you on the spiritual side, we can overcome the natural side. Does that make sense? Why? Because we are leaning towards the spiritual side of life. So, when you're looking at your children, when you're looking at your spouse, when you're looking at your co-workers, those relationships aren't just natural. They're spiritual. Now, if you're a child of God, then you are alive. If you're working with somebody or have a spouse that's unsaved or you got family members that are unsaved, then they are dead spiritually. And therefore, that's the whole reason why God has connected you with them so that you can begin to sow into them spiritually. And therefore, don't look to the natural man, but look to the spirit of the man. How many of you have those individuals that, you know, <laughs> I'm just kind of speaking real blunt here, but it's just like, you know what? I don't like you. You're just really mean and ugly. And if you go to hell, I just don't really go. To, I don't really care. You deserve going to hell. Have <laughs> you ever had those people in your life? Where it's just like, you know what? I don't care. You're mean and ugly. And if you go to hell, it's your own fault. I'm sure we all had those people like that, right? How will we respond? We're responding from our flesh. But the reality is, is that that person needs Jesus, right? And so therefore we have the opportunity to sow into that person life. If we understand the call of God that is on our life, it will change our perspective. The person in the restaurant, the waiter or waitress that's waiting on you, are they going to heaven? Are they going to hell? You say, well, I just came here for a meal. Well, maybe it was just a divine appointment for you to be there at that time so that you could change their eternity. You see, if we change our perspective and learn how to see like God sees things, we will start to produce what God wants us to produce. And as it says here in that scripture where it says that we will fulfill, let me get the scripture again. It says that we will fulfill all the good pleasures of his goodness. Why? Because we're partakers of his calling. And so we've got work to do. There's people in our church that they live, they're Christians, but they live out of the natural man. And therefore life is hellish, even though they're going to heaven. So we can love on those people to help turn the tables and help them experience all the good pleasures that Jesus came to give. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we've got some work to do, and we'll pick up from there next week. Amen? Amen. All righty. We'll let you go. Any questions?
subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites, which can be found at our website, gvchurch.tv. We know that today's message has been a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. We are Genesee Valley Church, loving God, loving people, and loving life.